so the title of my sermon today is What to Expect, uh, and I need you guys to expect, and I'm going to say the word expect about uh, 306, 307 times. Uh, I probably got clocked at like 305 last service, so just keep that in the back of your mind, and when you start to hate that word, I'm sorry, uh, I'm just going to keep saying it. Um, so we're going to talk today about dating, right? And the difficult part about talking about dating or talking about relationships in scripture is that they didn't date and they didn't court like we do today in biblical times, right? So how do you derive principles from scripture when they didn't do that back then? That wasn't a thing. That's like saying, Bible, how do I go to McDonald's? You can't. You can't ask that, right? Um, So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to walk through uh, early church life, right, and how uh, some people in the early church related to Jesus and talk about ancient Israel life and, and try to pull from that uh, how to apply that to our, our lives, our dating, our relationships. Uh, that being said, we're going into this with a few assumptions, right? We have to take this kind of with a grain of salt uh, because we can't talk about every aspect of dating. So I want to preface with three things. One, a good spouse treats you well, Right? If your spouse isn't treating you well, if you're not treating your spouse well, none of this is gonna jive the way it needs to. That needs to be the first thing that we do is we need to wish the best and want the best and do the best for each other, right? Uh, The second is that we all know and believe that marriage is built on purity. And third, we know that God expects us to love him above all else. And above all else includes your spouse. Right? So if you look at, uh, there's diagrams that talk about uh, godly marriages, godly relationships, and it's usually a triangle. And at the top of the triangle, there's God. And on both ends, uh, on the bottom, is husband and wife, or, or um, if you're not married yet, you're dating. Uh, and the whole purpose is that as you grow closer to God, God is one person. You become more like God, uh, and therefore you become more like each other as you grow closer to each other, right? So you're striving after God together to grow closer together. Uh, that being said, I kind of want to talk about uh, the, the difficulties in how different each person is, how different each relationship is. So to do that, I'm going to pick on Cam real quick. I need you to take this deck of cards. Thank you. I threw it real bad. Um, take it out and shuffle it. Anytime. Yep, shuffle it. Yep, boom. And then shuffle it one more time. And then shuffle it one more time. Perfect. So the odds are, right, mathematically, you can put the deck down. Thank you. That no one in the history of a deck of cards has ever shuffled the deck the same way he's done that. Each time, right? That's not, a, that's not a guess, it's not a probability, that's a statistical fact. Can you put that number up on the screen for me? So the amount of options for what order a deck of cards can be in is that, right? I didn't make that number up, I didn't type out a bunch of stuff. Mathematically, if you do out how many options you can shuffle a deck of cards, it's that. So if I gave everyone in the world a deck of cards and for the rest of their life they're shuffling it, no two decks will ever be the same, ever. Uh, So think of how much more complex a person is than a deck of cards. Right, a deck of cards are numbers, symbols, and colors. That's it. And there's that many options for a deck of cards. 
A human has history, has life, has family, has desires, has preferences on food and TV and how much more complex each of us are, right? You try to take two decks of cards and shuffle them all together and how much more complex is that relationship? Right, so going forward, uh, I just want you guys to understand that everything we talk about uh, is very, very general. What we have to do as individuals is figure out how to apply that to our life. There's no five steps, there's no, there's no book, there's no thing you can check off, there's nothing you can hang on your wall or think about uh, to easily fix uh, your ideas of dating or fix your marriage or fix whatever relationship you're in. We have to work at it because whatever way you cut it, we're way more complex than a deck of cards and I can't even fathom that number. All right, so uh, I'm gonna read Matthew 11 verses one to three to you guys and we're gonna talk through it a little bit. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples, catch that, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, I'll touch on that later, he sent words by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? So I wanna park right there for a little while and talk about uh, who John the Baptist was. And uh, I gotta say, I have some insider information about who the John the Baptist was, uh, mainly because, uh, you can put that picture up, I I was him temporarily uh, in a play, right? Um, (laughs) Pre-beard Jamie, they had like a real, I think it was an eyeliner pencil that they drew on my face uh, to give me the beard. And in this play, I I stepped outside of doors just like that, and before every play, they had to dump a bucket of water on my head, and I had to walk out, and the lights would come up, and I had to pretend that I was baptizing Jesus and pulling him up out of the water. And I said, come, repent, make straight the way of the Lord, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then the lights dimmed, and I had to like walk off stage with Jesus, and everybody clapped, right? That's who Jesus was. Uh, He he had this uh, voice crying out in the wilderness to prepare uh, Israel for their coming Messiah, right? So uh, John, John was uh, Jesus' cousin. Uh, he was born uh, under Zechariah and Elizabeth, and uh, before he was conceived, an angel came uh, to tell Zechariah and Elizabeth, hey, you're gonna bear a son, and he's gonna uh, uh, make way for the coming Messiah. And as any parent would, they said, yeah, right. <laughs> um, and as a result, the angel muted Zechariah. He didn't talk for the rest of uh, the time up until John was born, right? And as John was born, he started talking again. And then John grew up, went into the wilderness of Israel. Uh, It didn't look as green and lush as the pictures we had up there. It looks like the desert uh, that you would imagine is the wilderness of Israel. And the Bible says that he uh, lived off of uh, locusts and honey. So real quick, they don't sell honey in the wilderness, you know, you, you gotta fight bees uh, if you want honey in the world. I don't wanna fight bees ever, let alone, I don't care about the honey, just keep the honey, I'll eat the locusts. But that alone, eating the locusts gets, gets pretty gross. Uh, so he lived a selfless life, preaching and teaching about the coming Messiah, having no worldly gain. He lived off of the bare essentials Uh, And God told him, you're going to baptize Jesus, and sure enough, the Messiah, Jesus, the person that we follow and that we love, came to him, and he got to baptize Jesus in the Jordan River, and he saw the heavens open up, and a dove descend on Jesus 
anointing him with the Holy Spirit, right? You can't have a crazier life than that. It's, it's pretty hard to even imagine a life where you are either closer to God or uh, it's just pure craziness. Real quick, the passage that I read said that John was in prison, so to learn why, I'm gonna read the next verse. Uh, it says, for Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother. Now, I imagine John would have thought calling out the sin uh, in this king's life would have resulted in Jesus at least visiting him in prison, right? I imagine if I were John and I just called out the king of Israel and was imprisoned by him, I imagine John would have thought Jesus is going to come save me. He's gonna get me out of here. See, the thing is at that time, uh, Jews in Israel had a very, very different understanding of who the coming Messiah was gonna be. They didn't think that Jesus was, they didn't come to think the Messiah was gonna come in peace, They didn't think he was gonna come healing. They thought he was gonna come with an army. That when the Messiah came, they were going to rise up and fight off Rome and reclaim Israel for God, right? Because they believed they were the kingdom of God. They, They believed that to have anyone above them besides God was just downright heresy. That for Rome and a king to lead over them is sin. So they believed the Messiah was gonna come and they were gonna fight off Rome, they were gonna reclaim their land, and the Messiah was gonna lead them through their life unopposed. In fact, there had been numerous people who had risen up, right, who had uh, raised up armies around that time and they were quickly squashed and the majority of them actually said, I'm the Messiah. People believed them, they rallied behind them, they picked up their arms, they attacked Rome, they got squashed, and everybody forgot about them. Most of Israel expected their Messiah to do the exact same, but actually win this time. To strike a blow against Rome and to strike a blow for the kingdom of God again and again, large groups took up their arms, not merely interested in freeing them from Rome, but to achieve the kingdom of God on earth. So John announced that Jesus was coming, the Messiah was coming, that God was going to take action And he and everybody else assumed that this action was going to be godly, divine strength that they were gonna repel Rome. And in anticipation of that, John said, you have to make straight your path, repent, and be baptized. So why did John ask Jesus if he was the Messiah after he heard about his deeds, right? Jesus was healing at this time. He had made water into wine, and John says, Hey, I know you're doing miracles, Jesus, but I'm gonna send my messengers, I'm gonna send my people to you because you're not doing it the way I want. Are you really the Messiah? Or should I expect somebody else? 
Because God told me that I had to proclaim the way for the Messiah. I told him it was you. Do I have to take my word back? Right? Do I have to, do I have to step back on this or should, should I be looking for someone else? Or are you him? Sometimes we see what God is doing in this world, in our lives, in the lives of the people around us and we ask, why isn't he doing it for me? Or why isn't he doing it the way I want him to do it? Why isn't he doing it the way I expected him to do it? God, I served you. I did what you asked. Why aren't you serving me? So John wasn't only asking God, are you the Messiah? But if you are the Messiah, why don't you even care about me if you're not saving me from prison? And why aren't you repelling Rome? Why are you going about the streets and meeting with beggars and lepers and the poor and the tax collectors? John expected Jesus was going to come with power and strength. How close was God to John, and he still believed this, right? We went over that. We went over how crazy of a life John had, how close of a life John must have had to God, how selfless and righteous of a life John had. And he still didn't understand what God was doing. Now that gives me faith. That gives me so much hope and so much faith that John, this person who lived that life, still question, Jesus, are you really the coming Messiah? And if you are, what don't I understand here? That gives me faith that I don't have to have it all put together, right? I don't have to get mad at myself when I doubt. I don't have to get mad at myself when I think God should be doing something and he's doing something else and I take faith in that. We need to remember to not doubt God when we follow his will and the results aren't what we wanted them to be. When I first became a Christian, I, um, I had recently had a group of friends and I had treated them really poorly. I had hurt their feelings, I had manipulated them, and at the end of it, I got into a, a physical fight with them. And I became a Christian, and, and a, few, a few months after, somebody preached a sermon about not coming to the altar when you're harboring uh, sin and harboring things you've done wrong. And so I left that sermon, and I, and I walked outside, and I reached out to my friends, and I kind of just poured my heart out to them, and I said, I am so sorry for who I was. I am so sorry I treated you the way I did. You deserve better. My expectation was that following the prompting of God to apologize to these people, that my relationship with them would be fixed. But it isn't even now. They accepted my apology. They accepted that I wanted to make things right. And I needed to do that to get right with God. But just because I did what God wanted for me doesn't mean my life is gonna play out how I want it to play out because it plays out how God wants it to play out. John the Baptist must have expected Jesus to free him from this prison. And to be honest, I don't know if John the Baptist would have called out Herod, which if you look into history, he was a ruthless, evil man. I don't know if he would have called out Herod if he hadn't expected John, Jesus, sorry, to save him from this. And to be honest, if I were Jesus, and thank the Lord I am not Jesus, the temptation would have been there for me to raise up 
Israel and fight to save my cousin who was imprisoned unjustly. Matthew eleven eleven, Jesus says, truly I say to you, among these born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Right, Jesus was born of the Spirit, so besides Jesus, there has been no one who was born greater than John, and John still had his doubts. John still didn't have his expectations lined up with who God was, and John still doubted the coming Messiah. Church, that should give you faith that you don't have to have everything perfect. That you can look to the story of John and know there's no way I'm gonna be perfect. So I just gotta meet God and keep moving forward. So probably about now you're saying, Jamie, what in the world does that have to do with dating? Um, because as I was writing this out, I said the exact same thing to myself. So I wrote, what in the world does this have to do with dating? (laughs) Here's the thing, right? Relationships that last, good, healthy, holy relationships that last are built on good expectations. Right? No matter if you're you're John and your relationship or, or not, Right? If you're the, the, the perfect person, you do everything right in your own mind, if your expectations aren't lining up with your partner, nothing's gonna work. Nothing's gonna work. So this includes all relationships, but new couples dating have an incredibly important task to figure out who each other are, figure out if you're compatible, and figure out what everyone is expecting in this relationship, right? John expected Jesus to come with strength and might, and it resulted in him thinking that Jesus didn't care. We need to expect that things are going to be hard in our relationships as we start dating, as, our, as we start thinking about marriage, as we get married. We need to expect that things are going to be hard. And we need to expect that we're going to have fights, we're going to have arguments. And we need to start now practicing on good habits and starting to practice good communication and problem solving in our relationship. We need to talk about our expectations with each other. That's the purpose of dating, right? It's to find out if you two are compatible and move forward with it if you are. When we expect our partner to live up to expectations they didn't even know we were putting on them, we will always leave ourselves asking, why God, why? And here's an important one. We need to expect for things to get better. Because if they aren't getting better, something needs to change and you're probably gonna have to be the one that starts that change. When my wife and I first got married, um, and even to this day, we we like to uh, cook really big breakfasts. And not just at breakfast time, at dinner time and lunch time too. Um, we, We would call it the McNeil breakfast. And uh, not exaggerating, we would make uh, pancakes, bacon, eggs, sometimes sausages, hash browns. We each have a glass of orange juice and a cup of coffee and a glass of water, and we'd finish it off with a big old roll of cinnamon buns. Yes, yes, I like my bacon, I like my breakfast. Um, and we loved it. Like I said, we called it the McNeil breakfast. It was, it's kind of a tradition for us. And uh, 
we'd, we'd eat our food, we'd sit, we'd talk for a while, we'd relax, sip on our coffee, and we'd start packing everything up. Uh, we'd put away the cinnamon buns, so we'd have them for the next morning and you know, have some leftovers. And uh, there was always this one grill that we always just left out on the counter. Who here has a pancake griddle that they just hate cleaning? Right? So <clears throat> the next day, one of us would come home and look at the griddle and say, oh, why didn't they clean that? Uh, and the next person would come home and think the same thing, and the next day both of us would come home and say, why didn't they clean the griddle? Uh, and you know, a couple days would go by, and usually on the third or the fourth day, we'd have an argument, like why is this griddle still staying out on the counter? Because neither of us wanted to, this thing's terrible, I don't wanna clean that. Uh, you know, you're trying to, trying to put it in the sink and there's electric parts in it for some reason, you can't get it wet and you're trying to scrub it and water's spraying all over you, who would wanna clean that? But the thing is, both of us were expecting that the other person was gonna clean it, right? And that caused us uh, to have arguments about that because both of us were putting this expectation on another person. We weren't even communicating that with each other. We were just harboring bitterness and resentment for it when we got home and walked in the door and the griddle wasn't clean. That's just a little example, but the closer you get to a person, the more you start to see these. The more you start to see, I was expecting this of them, they didn't know it, they failed me and I'm mad. But the truth is, they didn't fail you, they were living their life and you didn't communicate with them what you wanted to happen. So that leads me to ask, you know, what are we expecting of Jesus in our relationship with him? What are we expecting uh, as we come to church, as we pray, as we uh, seek God? You know, are we expecting Jesus to be our problem solver? Are we expecting Jesus uh, to exist for us? Are we expecting uh, the promise of, a, of an easy life? Because Jesus isn't gonna give us any of that. Jesus promises joy and a difficult life, but a life worth living and a life lived abundantly. If we're expecting him to come in, swoop in, fix all of our problems, make us perfect and change everybody else to meet our needs, it's never gonna happen. We're constantly gonna be disappointed. So what are the, some, some of the false expectations of our partner, right? Do we expect them to be our problem solver? Do we expect them to be our personal cleaner? <laughs> to meet all of our needs? The truth is, whoever you date, whoever you marry, will never be able to meet all of your needs. That's a fact. There's no way those two decks of cards are gonna line up perfectly. The only person that can do this is Jesus, and we can't expect our significant other to be Jesus for us. Only Jesus can fill that void, and we need to stop expecting them to fill it. I wanna to talk to you a little bit, like I said, about ancient uh, Israelites as well, so if you could put Exodus up on the screen for me. Right after the Israelites were brought out of Egypt, and Moses went up onto the mountain to carve out the Ten Commandments. We read this. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up. I always laugh at that because the people go to Aaron like, get up, Aaron. Up. Up. Make us gods who shall go before us. And for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears, 
of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a great graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. So catch this, the, the Israelites were brought out of Egypt. They saw the miracles and provision of God. And the second God wasn't immediately available for them, they said, give me another. Because they weren't actually seeking after God, they were seeking after what God could give them. There's a quote that I want to read you, and I, and I try to fit it into pretty much every sermon I preach because I think it's an incredibly important question to ask ourselves on a regular basis. It's by John Piper, and it reads, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the foods you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? Ask yourself that. Really mull over that. Could you be satisfied with a heaven without God in it? Now, are we seeking after... God, or are we seeking after what God gives us? Are we seeking after heaven? Are we seeking after an easy life? Are we seeking after no problems anymore? Or are we seeking after Jesus? And for those you're dating, are we seeking after what a spouse brings us? Are we seeking after financial benefits? Are we seeking after comfort in our time of need? Are we seeking after them for a cure of loneliness or someone to hang out with, someone to fall asleep next to, someone to just share the burden, someone to clean the griddle? (laughs) (laughs) What happens when your spouse becomes the source of those difficulties? What happens when your spouse becomes the source of your financial strain? They're the source of your frustration during that low time that you're having. What happens when... You just want to feel like you're near someone, but you argue when you're in the same room and you feel like you're alone. Because there's going to come a time, no matter who you are, no matter who you're married to, where you're going to fight and they're going to be the cause of your problems. And if you're not seeking after someone to love and share this life with, if you're seeking after them to be the fix to these problems, then they're going to let you down and you're going to let them down. There's a principle called the 80-20 principle. And basically that means that no matter how perfect you are for somebody, no matter how well adapted you are, the best you could ever hope for is that someone's gonna live up to 80% of your expectations and you're gonna live up to 80% of theirs. So that means that we can expect that our significant other is gonna let us down 20% of the time. And if you're not expecting that, when that 20% comes, the grass is always gonna be greener and the temptation to leave them is always gonna be on the table. We need to understand that nobody's perfect, that we're not perfect, and we need to align that 
with our relationship and figure out how to make that work. There might be one in a million who reaches like 85% of the time they may have their needs met. But to be honest, I think there's a whole lot of 70-30s. I think there's a whole lot of 60-40s, right? There's gonna be a lot of difficult times in every relationship that you have. And you need to love that person for who they are, not for how much they meet your expectations if you're ever gonna make it work. So what, what do we seek after, right? And if, if we can't seek after someone to fix our problems, what do we seek after? We seek after someone to partner with in life. And a partner partners with you. You sacrifice for them, they sacrifice for you, and you make it work. You seek after someone who is completely open and honest with you and is worthy of your complete and open honesty. That triangle that I mentioned, you seek after someone who is striving towards God and who will pull, you with, pull them with you up that triangle. You seek after someone you can trust because if you can't trust them, there's no way in the world that you can love them. Stop looking for someone to make you the right person and start becoming the right person yourself. We need to focus 80% of our efforts on becoming a good partner and 20% on finding a good partner, right? How, how often have you heard, find someone who makes you better? And how little do you hear, make someone else better? Help better your partner. We need to own that and stop looking for others to own it for us. So if you're dating, right, how do, you, how, do I, how do I prepare for this? Obviously, I'm not married, right, or I'm about to date. Like, how do, I, how do I start getting myself ready for this? I mentioned earlier that we're all uh, far more complex than a deck of cards. So all these things that I'm going to go through next, you need to learn how to apply it to your life. You need to figure out how to make it work for you and for whoever you start dating. What I recommend doing is writing down these steps I'm about to list, focusing on one, improving on it, and moving on to the next. The first would be to evaluate your habits. Do my habits line up with having someone else in my life? Before I got married, they didn't. I was a very private person. I was, a, I was someone who wanted to be alone 70% of the time. For all of those of you who like the same, it doesn't work in marriage. <laughs> it's just not possible, right? So do your habits line up with living your life with another person? Next would be if, how do you fine tune your conflict resolution, right? Do you have something bad happen to you, someone say bad, something bad about you, you get into an argument with someone and immediately you respond with anger and frustration and arguments, or are you able to calm down a situation and work through issues? Do you take yourself too seriously? Do you think too highly of yourself? Can you take a joke? 
Can you take criticism? I promise you the closer you get to anyone in your life, you're gonna find a whole lot of criticism with that. The more you open yourself up to someone, and the more they open your, themselves up to you, the more you see their flaws. On that same token, are you able to kindly criticize someone and help them work through things? How often now do you seek out opportunities to serve, to prepare? Are you expecting to serve your spouse or are you expecting your spouse to serve you? Who do you surround yourself with? Do you have friends who are willing to give you gentle correction? Or do you surround yourself with someone who, when you tell them a story, they immediately take your side? That's not a good characteristic of people to have around you. You need people who are willing to correct you, to help you, to walk you through things. When I was getting married, uh, we went through a premarital course uh, with Pastor Tim Schmidt um, in Linfield. And uh, my wife and I <laughs> sat down with him. He had us read a lot of books. He had us take a lot of quizzes, which was great. Helped a lot. And he asked us a few questions, and it really uh, helped me set the groundwork helped us set the groundwork for our marriage. He asked us, um, who's gonna do the dishes? We didn't bring up the griddle, we didn't have that yet. <laughs> who's gonna manage the finances? Who's gonna do the housework? And he asked us a series of these questions and both of us immediately had a response. And most of the time we would both respond and look to each other because they were opposite answers. Even once he said, who's gonna handle the finances? And we both said, me, at the same time. Like, how do you, <laughs> well, we both wanna do it. You know, we can't, sh like, can we share? Because uh, that gets even more complicated. But having that in my life before my marriage set the groundwork for us that we need to be on the same page, and we weren't. So apply that to your, your life dating, right? Who's gonna pay for dinner? How often are we gonna see each other? How often are we gonna talk? Whose family will we spend more time with? Whose friends will we see more? And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Now, I'm not saying do that on the first date, because you do it on the first date, someone leaves, they, they're, they're gone. Uh, are we gonna spend Thanksgiving with my family or yours? <laughs> I don't know your last name. <laughs> uh, don't do that. Um, but as you grow closer together, as you start dating more and more and more, these are things you have to talk about and get on the same page with. Worship team, you can come back up. We need to always making sure we're desiring a person and not our idea of that person. Same with God, we need to seek after God, not the idea of God that we want for our life. So that story, as I mentioned at the beginning of Jesus being the bridegroom and the church being the bride, how does that end? It ends with Jesus dying for his church. Now I thank God that he did that for us. And I wanna ask you guys, as you're going into this relationship 
as you're starting to date, as you've been in a relationship forever, are you expecting your spouse to be the one dying for you or are you ready to die for them? Are you willing to sacrifice, to strive to make them better? Or do you only want them to make you better? So a couple things in summary from scripture. We need to take faith in John the Baptist's life. In our times of doubt, in the times where we say, God, why aren't you doing it the way I want you to do it? We can take faith that everyone goes through the same thing. And second, as we learned from the Israelites, we need to seek after God, not what God can give you. Because if we seek after what God can give us, sure, we might find them, but I can guarantee that God's not going to be in it. And it doesn't even matter that we found it. And in dating, what do we do? We have to expect correctly. We have to expect for things to require work. We have to expect for people to be imperfect. We have to expect for things to get better. And if they aren't getting better, we need to make a change. We need to figure out how to serve each other better. In dating, we need to prepare ourselves now to seek after a partner and not what we want our partner to be. Seek after a holy life, not an easy one. And remember that no partner is perfect. So I challenge you as you guys leave today, you have six hours before the Pats play, plenty of time. I want you to go home and write down honestly and openly what you expect from God. What do you think the results of the life you live is going to be? What are you expecting from him? And then take that and line it up with scripture. Most of us are gonna have to make some sort of change to understand who he is and truly experience God in this life. Are we expecting him to serve us or are we expecting him to guide us? And do you trust God enough to not make demands of him in difficult times, but instead take the joy that he offers? Now, if you're dating, I want you to go home and I want you to write down two areas where you can grow now before you're married. Prepare yourself now for marriage. Prepare yourself to be better. Stop looking for someone who's going to make you better and start figuring out how to make others better, how to make yourself better. And if you're married, I want you to go home and I want to write down, I want you to write down two things on how you can make your spouse's life easier. Now you can't go looking for what your spouse wrote and demand it of them. But honestly and earnestly write down how can I make their life better and start doing it and stop looking for what they're going to do for you. Just focus on those two things. If you guys want to stand with me, I'm going to close in a minute. 
any of you guys are going through anything or really if any of you realize that I can do a better job in marriage I can do a better job in dating I would encourage you to come up to the front and to spend time just praying for your partner praying with your partner and praying with each other as we seek after God together we grow closer to him and closer to each other I think time at the altar is incredibly important. Taking time and laying your life before God and saying, God, do with me what you will. I trust you. I can guarantee you there isn't a better thing you can do right now than that. So I'm going to pray. Once I'm done, you guys can come forward if you want. If not, you guys are welcome to leave. Thanks for coming out today. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your life, for your example. Thank you for teaching us who you are. God, I pray 